0: A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin.
1: Telling a woman that she can't be an elder is a nonsense rule. If they claim to be in the body, we let them have it. Donald Trump is going to win in 2020 by an absolute
0: landslide.
1: Six eyes in the American dream.
0: Because the New Testament is utter horse. Ding. It's created by a bishop and a fing an emperor. That's a fact. That's like established religious fact. Sawing is a blessing from God to make you rich.
1: Beating Jesus like a lottery ticket. The Lord spoke to my heart. The very few times I've ever heard God be this articulate with me. And I'm telling you word for word, these words came into my heart. I'm not asking you to witness me.
0: I'm asking you to brush his hair. That's what God commanded what's going on everybody welcome back to the master's dog episode 130 i'm your host norm the master's dog dunham aka the evangelical norm so the master's dog is a podcast where i deal with false teachers false doctrines false prophets you name it if they are attacking the truth of god as the introduction video said the quote at the beginning from john calvin i bark and um actually had somebody come at me about that 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 we don't bark we're human You get it, you get it, right? And I I know everybody's going to use every possible way to kind of shoot down this whole thing, but um, I get it. Nobody likes discernment ministries, kinds of things, and and stuff like that. It makes people uncomfortable when people call people out by name and and talk about them as being false teachers, but we're told to do it in the Scripture, so we do it. Um, Again, I try to be very careful. I'm willing to, you know, recant when I can be shown as as Martin Luther would say, if I can be shown through uh, clear teaching of scripture, um, then at this point, my conscience is bound to the word of, excuse me, the word of God, right? Here I stand. I can do no other. Um, So yeah, that's what this whole podcast is about. It started out as dealing with the uh, guys at Saints Unscripted, a podcast formerly known as Three Mormons. You may know Quaku and and guys like that from there. Uh, But they did a segment called, faith and beliefs and they started looking at the lds articles of faith and i wanted to respond to those videos and show how the articles of faith the the standard for the mormon church did not line up with biblical christianity and then after they were done with those 13 episodes that maybe it was 12 or 13 i think they may have tackled one two in one episode but when they were done with that they continued on david snell who is again For Saints Unscripted, this is the only scripted podcast that they do, and he continued on with issues of doctrine, history, stuff like that. There are some of these videos where I've said, and I committed, I committed, I said, I'm going to respond to every one of those. To this point, I've held up my my end of that bargain. Um, There's one or two where I didn't actually watch the whole video in the episode. I just threw up a screenshot of the video they did and said, this is why this is almost a pointless thing. It's a not even it doesn't even really have anything to do with doctrine it's you know especially like last week's episode and this week's episode it's dealing with history but you have to understand why they're giving you this history and it's as far as I know I mean I'm not digging deep deep into I'm not seeing anything that is outright incorrect and I'm not digging deep enough to find anything that might not be you know just Completely on the up and up, they're giving you accurate history, but there's a reason behind why they're giving you this accurate history. So we're going to check out today's video again. Last week was probably the first time I've ever just let a video play completely through without stopping it midway at some point and making some kind of comment, because again, there's there's not really a whole lot to comment on. He's just talking about history and the people that were there at the time of Christ and once again we'll we'll let him do this if there is something that i need to comment on i will but when we get to the end i will make it clear again why this is the the stuff that they're presenting and where i believe this is going so with all that let's let david do what david do and here is this week's episode of saints unscripted faith and beliefs who are the pharisees
1: Hey guys, so in the last video we talked about the geography and political landscape. Of- hey guys, so in the last Oops. video we talked about the geography and political landscape of the Palestine area in the time of Christ. We talked about the Samaritans, Herod the Great, his successors, how the kingdom was divided, lots of great stuff that will help you make much more sense of the events happening in the Gospels in the New Testament. But there's still more we need to talk about. Throughout Christ's life, he made a lot of enemies: Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, elders, the Sanhedrin, etc. Today, we're gonna to take a closer look at who these people are, what they believe, why they're important, and how they are all connected. Let's do it. Okay, let's take a look Let's see what you got. Alright, so in Christ's time, the Romans ultimately had power over Palestine, but Rome largely allowed the Jews to govern themselves. The Sanhedrin ruled as a Jewish law court in matters of faith, manners, and law in which Roman interests were not directly affected. In other words, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem was essentially the Jewish supreme court. Remember, there was no separation of church and state at this time. Religious leaders were often also civil leaders. Religious laws were civil laws. The word Sanhedrin comes from the Greek word synhedrion, But in the King James Version of the Bible, you won't find it translated as Sanhedrin. You'll find it translated as council, which makes sense because the Sanhedrin was a kind of council traditionally composed of 71 members led by the high priest of the temple. Who were the members of the Sanhedrin? The New Testament references them all over the place. For example, Matthew 26 says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. Why are these people meeting with the high priest Caiaphas? Because Caiaphas, the high priest, is the leader of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is composed of chief priests, scribes, and elders. The chief priests were men of the tribe of Levi who worked in the temple. Scribes are sometimes called lawyers or doctors of the law in the New Testament. They developed the law.
0: Okay, just gotta do an aside here. I love the fact that they're willing to admit here the chief priests are men of the tribe of Levi. Um, those are that's the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. Um, but yet their priests, high priests, I don't know that any of them are descended from Levi, Levi, right? Just, just because again, if you notice, and, and I don't know how this if this is going to play into things, but there the Sanhedrin pretty much looks like their quorum of the seventy. And they actually, I think they may have now, the LDS church may have like three quorums of the 70. Uh, it might be two, first or second, first and second quorum, but there may be three. I don't know. But it, it very much resembles the LDS quorum of the 70. But yet none of those high priests or elders who hold the, well, then now those guys hold the Melchizedek priesthood, uh, which is not a thing. The only person that holds a Melchizedek priesthood is Jesus and um but none of them, as Aaronic priests, were from the tribe of Levi, or even descended from Aaron. ...law in detail
1: and applied it to the circumstances of their time. The title elder means a few different things throughout the Bible, but when it comes to the Sanhedrin, these were just well-respected men and community leaders, usually older in age. Whenever you read about the chief priests, scribes, and elders acting together, think Sanhedrin, think Jewish government officials members of the Sanhedrin generally belonged to two ideological groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You can almost think of these groups as two opposing religio-political parties. These two ideologies approached Scripture in different ways. The Pharisees believed that the oral law, the oral tradition, was just as binding as written scripture. They were more popular among the common people than the Sadducees, but the Sadducees held the majority in the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees were the party of high priests, aristocratic families, and merchants, the wealthier elements of the population. They were more conservative when it came to scripture. Only written scripture was binding. Interestingly, the Sadducees did not believe in supernatural things like resurrection, angels, or an afterlife, heaven or hell. The Pharisees did. These doctrines are sort of a big deal, so it's not hard to see why these two groups didn't get along yeah. until they could rally together against a common enemy.
0: So look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and again I'm assuming all that stuff is right. I've never looked into the you know the political ideologies but yes we know from conversations that are had throughout scripture and stuff like that that the sadducees did not believe in a resurrection and so when they came to jesus not believing in the resurrection and asking questions about the resurrection jesus usually deflected going why do you even bother with stuff like that and uh you know and so jesus was very good at looking at these things and dealing with it and it it feels a lot to me like and, and Mormons will use these conversations uh, or these segments of Scripture to, like, kind of uphold different things, uh, as in where the, the Pharisees came and said, you know, to Jesus or the Sadducees, you know, a man dies and his wife it, it doesn't have kids and she marries his brother and have done seven times. Whose wife is she in the resurrection? And Jesus, rightfully understanding that, I mean, they don't even believe in it. And he says, you know, here's the deal. You know, in at the resurrection, they'll never marry, neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels. Well, the Mormons just completely ignore that. They'll look at this stuff and they'll they'll see it there, but yet now still the Mormons believe that people are going to be married in heaven in eternity, where Jesus literally shot those things down. So, like Jesus.
1: The Pharisees didn't like Jesus because they viewed him as a heretic. Christ condemned them and defied their traditions at every opportunity. How dare you defy me? The Sadducees didn't like Jesus because he was teaching all this stuff about an afterlife and resurrection and performing a bunch of supernatural miracles that the Sadducees didn't believe were possible. He's
0: daddy he can't talk.
1: Look who knows so much, huh? And of course, he also publicly disrupted their little money-grubbing scheme in the temple. And then you had another group that you'll wanna be familiar with called the Zealots. The Zealots were essentially the resistance against Rome. They refused to support Roman rule and despised the Jews who did. Naturally, they didn't get along with the Sadducees and Pharisees who may not have been happy with Roman rule, but accepted it and cooperated. An extremist offshoot of the Zealots called the Sicarii, which means daggermen, fought against Rome via terrorism and assassination. Fun fact, the word sicari comes from the Latin sicarius, which means assassin. You might be familiar with the Spanish term for assassin, sicario, which derives from the same Latin word. One of Christ's disciples was known as Simon the Zealot. It's possible this is a reference to his zeal for the gospel or another cause, or he may have at one time been associated with the Zealots or even the Sicarii. There's a lot of debate on that issue. Did
0: you ever kill anyone? I've never heard debate on that issue. Um, Again, it could be there. I could be wrong and just not aware of it but again i've never i've never heard the debate on any of that and so again we're going to get to why some of these little things get thrown in here and, and so on again questioning all of this we're getting off the subject As you know,
1: Christ was betrayed by the Apostle Judas and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was not arrested by Romans. He's arrested by officers of the Sanhedrin. The guy who gets his ear cut off by Peter was not a Roman soldier. He was the servant of Caiaphas, the high priest and leader of the Sanhedrin. It's not until after Christ's sham trial with the Sanhedrin that they bring him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect in charge, to be executed. There's a lot of debate about whether or not the Sanhedrin had power to legally execute people, but at least in the biblical account it appears that in Christ's case they couldn't, hence why they had to get the Romans involved. Anyway, there's a little bit of background for you that will hopefully be helpful to you as you traverse the Gospels and the New Testament in general. Check out the resources in the description to learn more. Watch some of our other videos while you're here and have a great day.
0: All right, so that's that. We'll uh, wrap this up. So just like I said last week when he was going through geography of the area and the history of the area, why did they give you all this information why is he throwing out all this information because at some point in time he's going to start talking about i'm assuming in the next couple of weeks they've devoted this month to talking about jesus which is something that they get criticized for quite often because usually december they talk more about joseph smith whose birthday is december 23rd and jesus doesn't get a whole lot of uh, airtime in december they've been criticized so this month they are like we're just talking about jesus So instead he's talking about the history and the people and this and that. Why is that significant? Because they're going to plug in their false Jesus into this and then they're going to go, well, all this other stuff is right. All this other stuff is true. You never argued with, you know, the geography and the, the political uh, arena of the day and the people and the Pharisees and, and these, you never had an issue with us telling you about that. Why are you arguing about who Jesus is? Because that is the part that is important. That is the part that separates us. You can, I mean, you look at any fictional book, take Harry Potter, you know, all the things that, that, J.K. Rowling writes about London and that area. Those places that are real places seem to be accurate. Does that mean that Harry Potter is real? No. Dan Brown, who claims at the beginning of his books, I wish I still had my my copy of Da Vinci Code sitting out here somewhere, but I don't. But in the beginning, he made a statement, something to the effect that the history and the geography of all this is absolutely correct. 100% accurate. Historical true well does that mean robert langdon actually existed no no you you can take accurate historical surroundings you can put somebody in you can you could i mean we've had movie after movie after movie you know uh captain america the first avenger set in world war ii and we can have so many things about that time that are accurate you know um I'm trying to think of any other issue you know but stories of that time um, you know, where historical accuracy is there, but then you insert fictitious characters into it. The historical accuracy does not make the fictional character real. And the fictional Jesus of the Mormon church does not become true when he is plugged into a historically accurate setting. Because you still have a problem with your presentation of who Christ is. He's not eternal. He was born of, this is the, the Mormonism, Jesus. He's not eternal. Born of God the Father and a spirit wife in heaven. So he did have a beginning. And when they, they'll argue, well, he existed eternally in the loins of the Father. Well, but what about that guy and his father? And and again, there's the eternal regression of great-grandfather gods and so on. So there's that. The fact that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer and everybody else. And not as the Bible intentionally says that he is the creator of all things. Jesus is my creator. Jesus created me. Jesus created the world. Now, are, am I adopted into his family? Do I get somehow, you know, this, this brotherly issue? Of course there's, there's theology that goes into that, but naturally or spiritually as a, as a, before I repent and I am adopted as John 1 tells us that we are given the right to become children of God so at one point we were not until I'm in that place of repentance and faith I am a I'm a child of wrath I'm not a child of God I'm a creation of God but I'm not his child I'm not Jesus and brother and Lucifer will never be brothers Jesus will always stand supreme as Lucifer's creator Because we know scripturally that Lucifer will never come to a place of repentance and he will be cast out into the lake of fire. We read the end. He loses. So nowhere, never will Lucifer and and Jesus ever become brothers because there's no adoption there. Does that make sense so you understand that and and this is important and then of course we get into the nature of salvation and salvation by works versus salvation by grace and so on. So all these things that they they try to plug this in and go, well the history makes it right, right? Right? No. No. You cannot take a fictional Jesus Plug him into a historically accurate setting in your doctrine or, or, or quote unquote scriptures or any of that. And suddenly he becomes true. The Christ of, of Mormonism will always be a false Christ. And will never be able to offer salvation, which is why we call out to our LDS friend. Please get out, run from that, that, that false teaching, the false pseudo Christian heretical teachings that come from your church and find a good Bible believing church to become a part of and 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 truly experience adoption through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And for the rest of you, my Christian friends, as always, preach the gospel at all times, use words, they're necessary. Until next week, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm.